The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and welcome to Friday Night Live with me, Hafiz Shaban, on this rather cold Friday evening. On the 14th of December, corresponding to the 5th of Rabiul Thani, I believe, 1440. Welcome and trust you are making the most of uh, of this uh, lovely evening, Friday evening, inshallah ta'ala. The vacations are just around the corner, so many of you will be planning your vacations to a much hotter climate than we currently face here in Luton. Anyway, as usual, broadcasting live to Luton on 105.1 FM. And also broadcasting live to our sister stations across the country on Sheffield Link FM, Peterborough Salam, in Derby, in Nottingham and nationally, internationally via the Inspire FM app. And also broadcasting live on our website, inshallah, and also Facebook Live. So plenty of ways for you to actually listen to us and watch us here live in the studio and be in tune with what is the hot topics of debate on Friday Night Live, inshallah ta'ala. Tune in. Most importantly, join today's discussion and debate. Get your voices heard and get your points of view across to our panellists, our listenership up and down the country. Your thoughts, opinions do count, so get in touch. Don't just stay silent. Right, to get in touch, 01582. The studio number, a studio number rather, is 01582481822. 01582481822. Pick up that phone and, and speak to me. Uh, if you want to SMS WhatsApp, right? If you want to SMS WhatsApp, your comments, your thoughts, your feedback on tonight's show or anything that we're going to be discussing tonight is 0779. 0779481822. 0779481822. But I do prefer for you to pick up that receiver, pick up your mobile and speak to me. I'm ever so friendly, so you don't need to be afraid. 01582481822. And I suspect with tonight's discussion and tonight's topic, that I've got for you prepared I guess a lot of you may want to have a say you may want to vent your frustrations vent your experiences and get a conversation going inshallah so 01582481822 reminder you are with me Hafi Shavan and this is Friday Night Live Right, today's show, inshallah ta'ala. So in today's show, we're going to be covering a number of stories for our listeners to reflect upon. And we're going to be starting off with a conversation and a discussion and an update from uh, the situation in China with regards to the Muslims in China, in particular the Uyghur Muslims in China and the recent recounts made by people who have come out of those concentration camps. And you might remember we've discussed these detention camps in the past and there has been considerable a considerable amount of media coverage with regards to some of these detention centers and camps that have cropped up in China where hundreds and thousands of Muslims have been interned and, and almost imprisoned. We're going to be getting an update and finding out what's going on, what's happening with those Muslims, why are these Muslims being you know, lined up and, and, and locked away in these, in these what has been termed as concentration camps 
in China. So we're going to be speaking to a number of guests who are also Uyghur, uh, you can say, uh, activists and also possibly Muslims. And we're going to be getting an update from them in, with regards to what's been happening, what's China been, uh, what's China been, you know, the, the campaign that China's been, uh, cam- you know, lo- lo- launching against the Muslims of this particular region, and what is the reality on the ground, right? And this is with regards to the reports that have surfaced. Uh, with regards to one particularly uh, Muslim sister who uh, was quoted as saying I prefer to have died than to actually go back into those concentration camps so we're going to be speaking to some of those activists and getting an update with regards to the situation of the Uyghur Muslims in China that's going to be our initial leading story and then we're going to be discussing uh, story number two which is we're going to be coming for an hour and that is a story that a lot of you may you know have your own experiences with and you may want to share your views and your thoughts and that is the question of racism racism right this is on the back end of Raheem Sterling incident this week where Raheem Sterling and it's no new incident has gone to the press and gone to the social media to cite the racist abuse that he faced at the away game at Chelsea by Chelsea fans racism in sport racism in society racism in all forms of you know institutions in society what's going on what's happening where does this racism emanate from ideological institutional or just a few bad apples amongst the tree right we're going to be discussing that we're going to be debating that i'm going to try to go into some details and in depth in terms of understanding the historical roots of racism what has been happened what is happening to actually mark out racism and, and what you know and, and what can be done to really address this problem of racism and last but not least so we're going to be speaking to dr salman khan author of islam 21c and he's been once again in the high courts to challenge prevent so we're going to be getting an update from dr salman to find out why he's been in the high courts and what is the progress so far so that's the lineup today inshallah on friday night live so as i said earlier get involved 01582 481822 i want to hear your thoughts in particularly on racism Luton and racism speak up 0779481822 is the number for your sms's and your whatsapp Right, but I'm going to go straight into my uh, leading story. And my leading story this evening is, of course, the plight of the Uyghur Muslims in China. And there's been a lot of press coverage with regards to what's been happening in these camps. And I want to go back to my notes because we actually addressed this question uh, a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago. uh, And that was then uh, Amnesty had actually launched a report uh, in which they cited that China must end systematic oppression against Muslims in Xinjiang province, right? And this was, uh, of course, the story. Some of our li- uh, listeners might remember the story. Some of them might not re- remember the story. So let me just refresh the memories of those who may have the question mark in their minds, what's going on? It literally, hundreds and thousands of Muslims belonging to the Xinjiang Uyghur community of China have been interned, have been just r- r- systematically rounded up. Imagine, you know, a, a large predominant community, just you know, hundreds and thousands being rounded up in the UK. Imagine that, right? And predominantly Muslims, ethnic groups, okay, all been intensive. And, and it's, this has been intensified since March 2017 when a regulation on de-extremification was adopted in the region by the Chinese authority, right? And therefore, they've just locked up hundreds and thousands 
thousands of these Muslims into these camps. And in the beginning, China would even deny that this was actually happening. Later on, they've now begun to acknowledge that this is happening and they've given all sorts of justifications for it. Recently, on Wednesday, the 28th of November, many of the broadsheets covered the story of a Muslim woman who described torture and being uh, you know, systematically, you know, uh, tortured in the detention camps where she said that I begged them to kill me. Okay, I begged them to kill me rather than go through the torture and the beatings in the Chinese detention camps, right? So we're now going to be speaking to uh, Russian uh, Abbas, uh, who I believe I've got on the line. Uh, on the line, and uh, Russian Abbas, just as an introduction, is an Uyghur American activist and a managing director for. Campaign for Uggers. So, uh, Rishan Abbas, alaikum and welcome to Friday Night Live uh, this evening. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Rishan Abbas. Thanks for having me. No, excellent. Thank you very much, Rishan Abbas, for, for your time this evening and for, for, for joining us. Uh, as I was just saying in the, in the introduction, uh, we covered this story a couple of weeks ago. And, and of course, the likes of Amnesty International, they launched their report with regards to China and the systematic oppression against Muslims in the Xinjiang province. Uh, and, and subsequent to that, I've seen a couple of stories here and there in the mainstream media. But why don't, you, well, why don't we start? Start you being from that region, you being an Uyghur American activist. Why don't you just give us a quick background in terms of what's happening on the ground out there? I believe that you've got family members, you know, that have actually been rounded up in some of these concentration camps. So why don't you give us a and our, and our listeners a bit of background in terms of what's been happening and what the current news uh, from that region is, uh, Russian? Yes, thank you so much. Um, let me give you a little bit of background information first. The Uyghur Muslims live in uh, East Turkestan, which is uh, occupied by China since 1949, uh, by a communist China since 1949. And uh, uh, it's uh, located in the northwest part of China, more toward the Central Asia. And we are Muslims. And now, currently, China's putting the, uh, the, the Uyghur Muslims into concentration camps. And the, uh, the Uyghurs are forced to denounce Islam mm. and being indoctrinated to become atheists, doing anything that any kind of random uh, normal exercise of Islam in, is being treated as a crime over there. Mm. At least as salam alaikum. You cannot even say salam alaikum. Even salam alaikum. That could be the reason. That's right. Even Salam Wow. Alaikum. Right. Um, I, I really want that. I, I really want to emphasize that to our listeners. So they just. Be, I mean, first you mentioned the word concentration camps. I mean, that immediately takes me back to Nazi Germany and what happened with the Jewish, you know, community, right? Uh, and, and then the fact that right. they, these people are just being locked up for as little as saying Assalamu Alaikum. I mean, that's quite incredible. Mm-hmm. People are not allowed to fast during the Ramadan. Right. They are not allowed to pray. The Qur'ans are being uh, confiscated and being burned. Mm. Uh, disappointingly, with so much going on to those Muslims now, as of last week, one of the U.S. State Department officials said that it's two million Uyghur Muslims are in concentration camps today. Wow. Two million. Two million Muslims. Right. Yes. Um, and also, the entire region is under siege. 
not just 2 million Muslims in the camps in being detained, even the regular people living in a regular lives, they are not being able to practice any sort of Islam. They so, can't pray. So is this, the, is, is this the, the Xinjiang region that we're referring to, right? That's right. The Xinjiang means new territory in Chinese. Right. Uh, we call it East Turkestan, right. but uh, it's being called uh, Xinjiang by Chinese government right, and right. Yeah, most of the Western countries, mm. yes. Um, but unfortunately, it really hurts us to see the Muslim countries in the world aren't doing anything about this. Mm. Mm. Um, the Muslim brothers and sisters facing such a horrible atrocity yeah. Yeah. just because they are Muslims, just because they are Uyghurs. Yeah. Uh, the, the organization of Islamic Corporation um, was completely muted until just this last week. Yeah. Uh, gratefully, the first time OIC, the organization of Islamic Corporation, condemned this atrocity mm. last week, and that made us very happy. Mm. Um, because uh, we were I, I, I'm going to outreach from the Muslim countries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where is the outreach of the other, you know, Muslim brothers? Yes. Because, you know, uh, we have a... Let me give you one example. Yeah, All go on, the Russian. Muslim scholars, Muslim uh, people are being under attack. And the, one of the very famous Muslim scholar, Muhammad Al-Hajj, who translated the uh, meaning of the Muqaddas Quran from Arabic to Uyghur, yeah. he was obtained in the concentration camp and they killed in the concentration camp early this year. What, what was it? What was his name, Muhammad who? Muhammad Saleh Haji. Saleh Al Haji. He's a very, very uh, Muhammad Saleh Haji. He is the uh, very well-known Uyghur uh, Muslim scholar. Right. Uh, very known by um, other Muslim countries as wow. well. Wow. Yeah. In, in, incredible stuff. I, I mean, uh, Russian, you, you made you, you made such you know powerful statements with regards to you know that you know the the Muslim countries and, and notably OIC, Arab League, uh, and 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 a lot of these other uh, uh, you know Muslim nations. They have such cordial and warm relationship with China. Of course, in terms of trade and yeah. commerce, exporting, importing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pakistan. I'm 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 you know ethnically uh, Pakistani, uh, and Pakistan and, mm-hmm. and China have got such you know cordial relationship you know with china investing billions and, and pakistan you know taking loans from china but yet it seems at the expense of polit- you know you know almost selling their consciousness right which is that you know completely exactly. silent com- completely silent with yes. regards to human you know violations human life uh, and yes. a complete crime you know against humanity crimes against humanity right i mean this is incredible stuff that's right uh, so, yes. so Russian, I, I know you. I know you're a campaigner, mm-hmm. and you're out there in the states. And mashallah, you know, I've looked at your profile. I've looked at some of the stuff that you're doing. So, obviously, uh, in terms of at least you, you know yourselves who are from that community, seem to be you know raising a voice in the in the West, which which is great. Mm-hmm. Tell me about some of the campaigning that you're doing out there in the states, and and, and what kind of impact that you're having. Uh, and you know, just tell me a bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, we are uh, uh, working with the U.S. Uh, representatives and the Congress and the Senate yeah. trying to uh, push forward with the uh, global magnetsky, uh, the sanction um, under the, uh, the provisions of the Global Magnetsky Act to uh, sanction the Chinese officials who are responsible for this severe human rights violation. Yeah. And also we are pushing forward uh, to... Uh, have the uh, Uyghur Policy Act uh, in the U.S. 
mm. and also internationally. We are trying to raise awareness. That is, that is one thing the Muslim Brothers and Sisters could do for us. Please spread mm. the word, raise mm. this awareness, because Chinese government is controlling the media very tightly. Yeah. The news is not coming out. Mm. Because I spoke, I spoke about this camp as a part of my activities, and I was... Uh, and one of the uh, panelists in one of the think tanks here, yeah. my sister, the typical example of Beijing's retaliation against the political activists abroad. Yeah. Um, my sister was taken hostage. Yeah. Now it has been more than three months she disappeared. The Chinese government tried to claim that uh, those camps are vocational training camps yes. and that they are trying to treat the disease. Yes, Listen yes, yes, they exactly. It's disgusting, Islam yes. yes. mental disease. Exactly. They are saying that, uh, you know, Islam is a mental disease. Yeah. What does that say about the Muslim community, about the Muslim world? Yes, yes. You know, I mean, it is horrific stuff that you're telling me. And uh, you know what you're telling me, Russian, is just the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, for my listeners, I will say, you know, go out there and, and research Russian Abbas and research the Uyghur community. And you can see I've got the article right in front of me, uh, you know, with regards to your sister, your 56-year-old sister, Gulshan Abbas, right? Who, you know, mm-hmm. that you, 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 uh, you know, and her two daughters. And it's absolutely disgusting. But, you know, I am so proud of you Russian that you know you're you are actually you know principled standing up for your Muslim you know community uh, you know of Uga and and being in the states you you know you're being active and you're raising the voice and you know your message out there is for justice okay and and for you know representation of of an oppressed minority in China right and and I think yes. that's a that's an that that's a message that will echo with a lot of our members of our community because. Here in Luton, for example, a lot of our community are from the Kashmir, you know, background, right? And they see this oppression and they see this in kind of incarceration on a daily basis in Kashmir, right? A lot of, you know, our Muslims yeah. from Palestine and so forth. So they can really empathize with where you're coming from and, and, and the kind of story that you're sharing with us. Now, the only difference I see is the fact that, you know, I don't think the Uyghur and, and the, these concentration camps have been receiving the media coverage that they ought to, right? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I think that the media coverage, uh, as uh, uh, now I say that I've started seeing some of the stories out there, but I haven't still seen the kind of coverage that they ought to, because this mm-hmm. is this is a crime against humanity for for two million Muslims to be locked up and rounded up in concentration camps just for the fact that they say, Assalamu alaikum. This is incredible stuff. Yes. In 21st century. Yes. Thank uh, you so much. No, right. no, no. You're, you're, you're welcome. You. And my, la- my last question to you before you know, uh, you're Russian. Uh, you know, I let you go back to your day day to day activities. I mean, how are you finding the response? Right. So, I mean, I, I cited earlier. I know Amnesty International and some of the other organizations. They've they've launched you know this as a campaign. They've issued reports on on, on this subject matter. How are you finding your response from the the Muslim and the non-Muslim community in, with regards to getting this on the agenda um like i said unfortunately the muslim countries the governments are being silent they are not but, but russian let me ask you a question on that you told me about what you're doing in the, with regards to the senate and the congress right I, 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 are you involved in any kind of a, a campaigning with these muslim governments to say look hey you need to take a, a stance with regards to china you know being a muslim country and here's your fellow muslims being persecuted in the name of islam and you people are not even raising an eyebrow, eyebrow with regards to that. have you are, are you engaged in any political yes. lobbying on the Muslim government front at all? 
Yes, I am. I'm trying to reach out to Muslim organizations here Good. in Washington, D.C. I'm also Good. reaching out to the embassies of those Muslim countries. Right. Um, some of them are meeting with us. Some of them are just ignoring for our requests. Yeah. I think it's because of the Chinese influences. Yes, yes. So, you know, I would say uh, let's put Allah's uh, um, the willing of helping the brothers, each other, Muslims, each other at first. Yes. Not fear of Chinese influence. Excellent, excellent point. Um, you know, yeah. just help us out. You know, we are excellent. trying to reach out to the Muslim government. And we are grateful for our Muslim uh, brothers and sisters, uh, the people, not the government, but people who are coming excellent. to the street. Yes. And they are demonstrating against this atrocity. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Roshan Abbas, you know, I would love to speak to you further. And, and you know, I, I can sense the emotions and the passions uh, and your sentiments in in, in, in the in in your tone, right? Uh, and, and I can I can understand, you know, the the, the it's, it's very personal for you in terms of the struggle. Your own family is impacted, and I ask for you, uh, for you to be patient and to continue in your f- fantastic principled campaign uh, for human justice uh, for the for for this you know for the huge community of, of uh, the Uyghur Muslims in China. And inshallah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners who have listened in today will be supporting and will be doing exactly what you've kind of asked them and requested them to do. Thank you very much, Roshan Abbas. Yes, for sharing you. your, your time with us this evening. Thank you very much, Roshan. Thank you so much for your time. You're uh-huh. welcome, Bye-bye. Roshan. Bye-bye. Right, uh, listeners, that was Roshan Abbas, and I'm sure that would have, uh, you know, really, you know, appealed to your sentiments and your thoughts for those of you that are listening in terms of what is actually going on in China with regards to these Muslims. I'm going to speak to another guest, right, before I really reach out to my listeners and ask you for your thoughts and your views. I'm going to go to over to, uh, if I, I hope I, I pronounce the name correctly, Jean uh, Bunin. Uh, hi, uh, hi, hi, Jean. Hi, how are you? Uh, yeah, fantastic. I hope I got your name correct. I've only got a, a four or five minutes to speak to you, Jean. Uh, but but great for you for you to join us on Friday Night Live this evening. I believe you're a, a writer and a translator who's been researching the Uyghur language in Xinjiang since 2008, based in Kyrgyzstan. Is that correct? Uh, I have been researching since 2008. I'm not really based in Kyrgyzstan. I'm based kind of more in Central Asia, but Central I don't Asia. have a steady home, but... Right. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. Fantastic. So, so Jean, t- tell me about what's been, okay. You've been researching the, the language uh, by no, uh, no doubt the the people. You know, you, what 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 has been your kind of inform- research? Where's your research led you to with regards to the people uh, and the kind of uh, you know the actions of the Chinese government? I mean, my research has really had to slow down quite a bit because I mean I was in the region for. I mean, on and off uh, for ten, for the ten years I was coming and going. But then in uh, this year, um, I mean, after 2014, I moved back to the region, so I was there for maybe four or five years. Yeah. And earlier this year, then uh, basically I got kicked out <laughs> in right. uh, April. So uh, by by the Chinese. I was there. Uh, well, yes, but essentially by the authorities. But the way I was kicked out was very awkward because they just basically they they closed the hostel where I was staying for fire safety reasons, and then they blacklisted me everywhere else. So I had to leave. So it wasn't. It was never a face-to-face kind of your kick wow. out. It was just yeah. more kind of a, sort of this. So uh, yeah. Since since then, I mean, I haven't really done. I've, uh, I haven't really done much research. Or I mean, I've, I've continued to do it, but it, it's fallen off because I've had to. Right. Just with regards to your research, I mean, I'm, I'm quite interested in terms of a, 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 a translator who's been researching the Ziga language. So, so tell me a bit, bit, bit more about your, your, your research and what have you found out with regards to this, uh, the, the Uyghur language? Uh, 
I mean, the languages just have been I've been sort of compiling all the resources on the Uyghur language into a sort of grammar, let's say, or a grammar book or sort of a reference book, a right, website right. That, uh, for basically for English speakers. So that's, that's what I've been doing. Right. And, and is, 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 it very, is, is it similar to the Arabic script or is it completely different? It's, uh, it's, uh, Arabic, it's similar to Arabic, the descriptives. I mean, it's probably more similar to the way that Farsi is written. But oh, Farsi, yes, yes, Farsi. I'm familiar with Farsi. I'm not 100% like that. I mean, but, uh, yeah, it's an Arabic script, but it's a Turkic language. So it's very similar to, for example, Uzbek or even Kyrgyz, Kazakh. It's all, or even Turkish. So it's right. all kind of uh, Turkish. Turkish. So, so, so I can imagine the Chinese there must be totally infuriated and trying to actually, you know, annihilate the language because obviously that's part of their identity, right? I mean, as far as the identity, I think that a language would be harder to annihilate, but mm. I mean, gradually it is going that way because, I mean, uh, for example, already they've taken it, I think, more or less completely away in uh, in schools. So mm. from primary schools now, I think almost everything now is done in Chinese. But yeah, a few exactly, years ago, yeah. it was it'll be possible to do it in Uyghur. All right, right. I, I can imagine. I can imagine. Right. Gene, uh, uh, I'm going to go into a commercial break, unfortunately, in 45 seconds, but I would love to speak to you if you're able to hold on for a couple of minutes. I, I, I don't know what your availability is like. Is, is it possible? Uh, that's fine. Is that, is that fine? On. Okay, fantastic, because I have to go into a compulsory commercial break in 30 seconds, uh, and I'm conscious I've just spoken to you for a, for a minute. So that's great. If you can just hold on, then we'll come back to you straight after the commercial break. Is that okay? Sure. All right. Fantastic. Okay. So that is uh, Gene Bunin. I'm going to be speaking to you after the commercial break. And we are discussing the Uyghur Muslims in China. Right. Uh, and you've heard a very passionate, you know, an update from Russian Abbas who's personally been impacted and is from that region. You are with me, Hafi Shaban, on Friday Night Live. And I want to hear from you, my listeners, after the commercial break, when we come back with regards to your thoughts and your views on what's happening on, uh, on in, in China. So don't go away. I'll be back in a couple of minutes until then assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh welcome back to friday night live with me hafiz shaban on inspire fm 105.1 fm 01582481822 is the number here in the studio for you to call me and speak to me direct 01582481822 for those of you that prefer the sms and the whatsapp option but we are discussing and in the first half of the hour we have been discussing the plight of the muslims in china and i am going to reach out to my listeners because they it should have really moved our sentiments it should have really moved our emotions it should have really moved us from the account that we had heard uh, from Russian Abbas, who's an Uyghur American activist out in America campaigning on behalf of her people. But her message was very simple and very clear that she is she was very appreciative of the Muslims that are going out on the streets and raising awareness with regards to the plight of the Muslims, Uyghurs in China. But she was very, uh, very uh, you can say uh, not very impressed with regards to the Muslim countries who have been completely silent, right? So I have got 
Jean Bunin on the line with me who has really kindly and patiently been waiting the last couple of minutes uh, whilst we were away on our commercial break. So I'm going to go come back, speak to Jean immediately. A uh, couple of more questions for Jean before I then, then open up the lines to our listeners. Uh, Jean, you, I, I hope you're still there. I'm still there. Yeah. Ah, fantastic, Gene. Thank you very much for your for your patience and, and thank you very much for holding on for the last couple of minutes, right? But, uh, but yeah. before we went in, away into commercial break, I was asking you a couple of questions with regards to your research in, into the Uyghur language. I mean, that that's fantastic. That was new for me and very interesting. I mean, being out in that region, traveling around in that region, and it's a region that probably a lot of our listeners have never, you know, frequented, never visited. I personally haven't visited. I would love to go out there one day. How is it like, you know, being out there in the region, the Uyghur Muslims, the Uyghur people? How's your experience been being out there, uh, uh, Jean? I mean, it's very, for me personally, it's very nice because it's actually, it's not, it doesn't really feel like China when you're there, especially if you go more towards west, towards kind of the central countries. Right. So Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Pakistan. Where, where are you and from yourself, Jean? Uh, originally, yes. I mean, originally I'm Russian. I'm Russian, but then I grew up in the states. But I've also lived in a few places. So. Oh wow, wow. Okay, so that's that. I just wanted to see where your back, where, where your background is from, and, and just so we can we can compare contrast against that. So that that must be a really interesting experience for you. And what about the Uyghur Muslims and the people you you must have had a lot of interaction with with them? Tell tell me and tell our listeners a bit a bit more about the the people and, and the Muslims themselves in terms of the Uyghur region. I mean, they're they're fine people. I mean, they're people, they're people like everybody else. So, I mean, sure. they're nice. They're especially. I mean, there's a lot of Central Asian influence, and they they are essentially like a lot of the Turkic Central Asian peoples. Yeah. So, like things like hospitality are very uh, important in their culture. Right. So, right. As, as kind of as an out as an outsider there. Yeah. Uh, you. Um, sorry, one second. I mean, as an outsider, you found yourself being welcomed by by this community, by by these people. You know, how 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 did they look at, towards you, as seeing you as, as a bit of a foreigner? Are you there? You know, what, what was the what was? It's just good to get your experience and and your insight into the, into that. I mean, as an outsider, uh, it's um, they're very welcoming to outsiders. All right, lovely. So Okay, and and what what about with regards to you know the the this Chinese concentration camps and you know the, the, what 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 has been you know covered in in, in the press and the media? I mean, uh, did you have any personal experience of that? Did you hear any personal exp- uh, you know in, you know stories and narrations? Met any uh, people who have been from the from the camps or you know exp- you know survived the camps or any coverage at all from from a personal uh, perspective whilst out there in the region? Uh, could you rephrase that? So, I mean, just in terms of have you, you know, whilst being out there in the region, did you hear stories with regards to these, you know, uh, internment camps that the, the Chinese have set up? You know, what, what's your experience been, you know, with regards to, with, with the Chinese, you know, in, in light of the fact that you're actually out there researching into an area which is potentially, obviously, at, at odds uh, with the Chinese authorities? Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, the, the the camps are very. I mean, something that you feel. You don't really see it because you can't. I mean, right. they physically physically they exist, yes. and uh, you can sometimes even walk by if even you know that it's a camp. Oh, really? But uh, uh, it's. Um, 
I mean, you don't, you can't actually, you, you can't go inside, you can't really go and ask people about them. Yeah. So this is a sort of intangible thing, but people do, I mean, you feel it in the sense that people do, people can disappear. And so like people yeah. that you know, you might, you know, you might have seen them a month ago and now you yeah. don't see them anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and is it is, is it which of a I mean is it, is it a subject matter that that is being talked about in in that in that society in that community or is it something that you can't talk about because I mean earlier Russian was telling us that how you know people are picked up on the on on the basis that they're just Muslim so how do you identify a Muslim he says salam alaikum maybe he just grows a beard is it a subject matter that is being discussed in in, in that region at all or is it completely hush hush it's uh, it's mostly hush hush you can't it's 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 a taboo subject so it's something that maybe very close people can talk about themselves amongst themselves in private. Yeah, but it's uh, it's not something that you can go and you can talk about openly because it's a sort of I mean just talking about it puts you at some sort of risk. And there's yeah. also sort of I mean there's a lot of surveillance. There's cameras everywhere. Yeah. There's policemen everywhere. There's also a so it's a complete police state atmosphere around that whole region. Correct, it's a police state atmosphere, yeah. and so people don't trust each other. So if you go to your this friend is, and you say, well... This is what, what, this is what the Central Asian region that you, you, uh, we're talking about, or Xinjiang, or what, what are we... Tell, me, tell, tell us about the geography it's, it's, we're, we're discussing. Yeah. It's Xinjiang, yeah. It's Xinjiang, Xinjiang right, yeah. Uh, and, and currently, Gene, where, where where are you currently then? Where, where, where are we speaking you from, uh, to, to from? Uh, currently, I'm in uh, Bishkek in Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan, wow. Okay, uh, that, that's uh, that, that's impressive, right? Okay, uh, and, and it's been great talking to you, Gene. Uh, so, what what's the plans? Is, is your plans to continue with the research uh, and, and and complete that? Is that is is it some kind of a PhD research that you're doing, or just just write up for your for your personal academic kind of a, uh, ambitions? Uh, no, it's it's uh, it's been a purely independent project. So it's been self-funded independent research. But I mean. For now, it's basically stopped. So now I've also kind of gone into more activism things. Right, right. So currently, for example, I'm, I'm working on a database. So the right. database is the goal is to collect all the victims that are, collect testimonies for the victims who are currently in right. either in the camps and jails there or, so um, I'm working on that. All right, fantastic, fantastic. I wish you all the all the best of, of luck, Gene. Uh, again, an, another fantastic uh, initiative. Uh, that you're actually involved in and uh, best, uh, wish you best of the luck, Gene. Thank you very much for joining us this evening on Friday Night Live on Inspire FM. Okay. All right, fantastic. No Thank you very much, Gene. Thanks. Bye-bye. Right, listeners, that was Gene uh, Bunin, all right, uh, from, who is a writer, translator, who's been researching the Uyghur language in Xinjiang since 2008. And we were speaking to him live from Kyrgyzstan, I believe he was saying. Uh, and again, you know, he's dropped that research and now he's campaigning on behalf of the Uyghur Muslims in that region. And again, uh, very, very uh, in insightful in terms of what's going on in that region, what's happening and you know raising the awareness uh, for those communities around the world that are completely oblivious to what's happening to the muslims in the Xinjiang region now i uh, earlier when i was discussing with Russian abbas i said to her i'm sure a lot of our community members who are from the kashmir background will be able to completely emphasize with what is happening to the muslims of china brothers sisters speaking i'm reaching out to the muslims of of luton nottingham derby peterborough wherever you are listening to wherever you are listening to me from right it is something 
for you to think about something for us to raise as a subject matter with our community members with our muslims non-muslim community members to raise the plight of these innocent individuals and the principles of humanity right principles of humanity something for us to go away think about research and see what can be done as individuals and as a community that was of course the treatment of Uyghur Muslims in China and the recent recount, uh, recounts made by a number of individuals who have come out of those detention camps that we were covering as the first story. Right, so we're going to be moving on to our second story and this is the main story of this evening and we're going to be covering this for almost an hour this evening and we're going to be discussing the subject of racism. Right, so racism has come up and reared its ugly head once again. Right, once again, it's, reared, it's raised its ugly head once again. And this time, it's been at, uh, by Manchester City footballer Raheem Sterling. Right, so Raheem Sterling, a lot of you would have, would have watched this match last week or at least heard about this match because it was a big game. A big game in which Manchester City lost uh, to Chelsea. But it wasn't the, the defeat that was making the headlines but in fact it was the racist taunts that Raheem Sterling encountered and endured in the game you know against Chelsea right following his abuse he discussed the issue of racism in the media and how two young footballers at his club one black and one white both apparently bought homes for their mothers but the white player received positively worded coverage whilst the black players actions were negatively covered so he touched upon the media bias that exists and how this affects perceptions of minorities in the wider society, right? And since then, there's been a lot of discussion in the, in not only the football fraternity, I mean, in the football fraternity, many of you would have watched the video that's been circulating around social media. Ex-Liverpool player John Barnes, I mean, fantastic. I remember the days of John Barnes, what a footballer he was. And of course, he's a Liverpool, he was a Liverpool player and I'm a Liverpool fan, so I'm going to say that I. But the fact is, I didn't know he was so articulate. He was very articulate. I watched that video very articulate and he makes a fantastic point and he draws a comparison between the negative coverage of Muslims and blacks in society who commit crimes and have their backgrounds questioned whilst the whites who do similar crimes do not have their background do not do not have their you know backgrounds questioned so there's all sorts of questions that he's been raising and we're going to be discussing some of these questions but of course I'm not going to be raising all of these questions I'm going to be looking at a number of different aspects right and we're going to be covering this evening and I want to hear from you my listeners 01582481822 what has been your experience of racism 01582481822 for your social media messages whatsapp and your sms messages now the racism is isn't only restricted to football Racism isn't restricted to employment. It's not restricted to the white, you know, white community against the black community or the the non-white community. It exists within all communities, right? And we're going to be discussing where does it exist, why does it exist, what are the root causes of this, and what are we, and what can we do about it, right? What can we do about it to really knock it on its head, right? So I've got a number of guests. Some of them are going to be from the football fraternity, and we're going to be hearing about what's happening in the footballing context and racism. And we're going to be also be discussing racism outside of the footballing context because football is just one aspect of society 
it is not the be all and end all of of racism uh, at all right by any stretch of the imagination so i've got on the line i believe i have stuart hammonds who is the luton town press and media manager uh, many thanks for joining us this evening stuart hammonds welcome to friday night live with me happy shaban a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for your time this evening, uh, sir. And I know it's uh, Friday evening, 14th of December. I'm sure you got, you've got plenty of things to do with the run-up to Christmas and you've lent some your valuable time to us on Friday Night Live, Stuart. Thank you very much. All right, Stuart, so we, we've seen the headlines that have been you know, be, being made around uh, you know, nationally on the back end of Raheem Sterling and what's happened with Raheem Sterling. And of, co- of course, this is no new incident and we know it's always happening out there. And, and, and I think it's unfair to put the spotlight on football and football clubs to almost solve that problem of racism because you simply can't do that. Well, uh, you're right. I, I read something earlier today from the uh, Show Racism, the Red Card uh, campaign group, who we work very closely with at, at the football club. And, um, yeah. you know, they, they said it, it, you can't deal with racism in football until racism in society is dealt with. Absolutely. You know, these supporters are going to a football match for two hours a week. What are they doing for the other 166 hours, you know, when they're at work and they're out socialising? Or it's not, it's not just um, when they're at football that they, they might shout these, uh, these, these chants. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, you know, it's something that obviously um, prejudice of any kind is is deplorable in society absolutely. as a whole not just in football no no ab- absolutely absolutely but in terms of football of course it's you know it's covered on the national media you know national press you know on mainstream broadcasts so there's hundreds and thousands of people millions of people watching the watching these games and, and you know uh, so football has got a i guess I, I guess got a large part to play in terms of you know stamping it out you know now you know we've got a you know a football you know league and a premier league which is you know full of you know all sorts of minorities in there and you know ironically is some of the best players that we've got are from these you know you know ethnic minority players right so of course football has and can play part and contribute towards eradicating racism now uh, you know in addition to the fact that all right let's show the racism the red card what else do you think are some of the initiatives that really football clubs are doing and can be doing to really help eradicate this not from the football ground but from society yeah, well, I, I can only speak from from our perspective. Obviously, at uh, Luton Town, and yeah. uh, you guys, um, you know, some of these will be familiar to to your listeners, uh, and um, certainly um, uh, Tariq, who we we spoke to yeah. in the summer yeah. uh, when we had our Neighbours Day, for example. You know, we're very proud at, at Luton that we're in Berry Park. Um, we're in a, a diverse, multicultural area. Yeah, um, you know, pro- probably. Um, the most diverse in, in the country, football club. Yeah. And we are proud of the fact that we are seen to be good neighbours. Um, yeah. You know, we had Sufian Sadiq and and um, the guys um, from Berry Park handing out Ferrero Rochers to our supporters at, at our Easter game against Mansfield as a, a thank you to our supporters for the, the trade that they bring to the local businesses on a match day and for the respect that is shown around the ground. And, you mm-hmm. know, we were, it, it was actually quite emotional for us at the club to, to, to uh, be mm. the recipients of that gesture. Yeah. Um, and when I came on in the summer and I spoke to Tariq about, uh, you know, as a, a reciprocal gesture, we, 
uh, handed out 2,000 tickets. We went knocking on doors and Fantastic. Oak Road and Ivy Road and all the streets around the ground, yeah. giving out tickets to to try and attract um, our neighbours to come and watch the games as part, of, as part of Neighbours Day. And, uh, right. you know, we, we, we embrace the fact of where we are. Um, you know, you will see... I think we had Sky Sports News come to us last night uh, right. to uh, Lee Manor School, where right. our community trust, uh, Daniel Douglas, who mm. um, many people will recognise. He's more famous at the minute than any of our players, I think, Daniel is, because he, oh, really? he was fronting the, uh, the Luton Council and Luton in Harmony, right. um, Many Voices, One Town campaign, with right. you know, se- seven other guys um, who, whose talent, Throughout Luton, you know, makes them the face of Luton, basically. And mm. Daniel, Daniel was there last night delivering a Premier League kick session, which, uh, which brings um, fourteen to twenty-four year old, sorry, thirteen to twenty-four year olds mm. from around the estates around Luton, right. uh, Marsh Farm, and, and, right, right. and Crawley, brings Fantastic. them all together under the umbrella of Luton Town Football Club to, Fantastic. to play football with each other but they don't just play five a side and do training sessions they have workshops yeah um of which uh you know anti-racism um campaigns are, yeah. are very much part of it you know that they, yeah. they they gain qualifications Fantastic. qualifications educational yeah. qualifications and this is for this is for the players right this is this is for youngsters in luton ah youngsters yeah okay okay very good yeah but, so what i'm saying is uh, uh our coaches through our Luton Town Community Trust, yeah. they're out there every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you, Stuart. Schools, youth groups, yeah. um, you know, delivering sessions to, to bring the, the diverse... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Reflection, yep. In our town. I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Stuart. And to, res- to respect each other. And, um, you know, you can... We, I think we, we touch over 3,500 people each week with our... Fantastic. Um, right, work, right, Stuart. Stuart, I've, I just just hang on there. I've I've all, I've also got on the line Paul Kearns. Right, I hope I've got that name right. Who's the deputy chief executive of Show Racism, the Red Card? So I want to get Paul into the conversation. Paul, uh, w- w- welcome to Friday Night Live uh, this evening with me, uh, Hafiz Shaban on uh, Inspire FM, one of five point one FM. I'm sure you've been listening to us very patiently over the last couple of minutes in, with regards to what we've been discussing. Uh, some, I'm sure there's some fantastic initiatives. I like the the show racism the red card paul you know how uh, let me ask you to open up by asking you the question how well are we doing with stamping out racism from the football arena and from uh, you know as football and and how and what can we do to to really you know take that one step even even further uh, well, firstly, good good evening, my friend. Good evening to Stuart as well. Um, nice to hear about all the good work, all the good work that we're well aware of that's going on there at Luton Town and within the local community. Um, back to the original question, I think, you know, how far have we come in football? I think we've come a long way. I think we have to yeah. sometimes take a step back and um, recognise that sometimes. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, draw a bit of a line in the sand as a marker and, mm. and, and reflect on how far we've come. Mm. And back to, you know, some of your original points is that racism is a huge problem in UK society. It's, yeah. That's where the issue is. That's yeah. where the the, need, the the work needs to be done, where yeah. young people need to be educated. Yeah. And sadly, football will, on occasion, um, manifest the racism that we see in society. But, yeah. you know, if we 
if we're talking about the problem that football has, then compared with some other industries, um, it's not as big a problem. And at the same time, some of that great work that Stuart's talking about, football is is a vehicle for for change. You know, football can be used um, for for positive, and and it certainly has been over many years. Um, You know, sadly, we're still seeing instances within the game, but but we also have to recognise that the players don't face the chance on mass that they did in the 1970s. They don't have um, the bananas thrown at them, and, yes. and you know some of the real, the real abhorrent things that we've seen in the past have oh. rightly been consigned to the past. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I was going to say. I mean, the whole landscape of football has changed, right? I mean, you know, absolutely. the amount of ethnic minority and and non-white players that you see in the Premier League and any of these mainstream clubs is incredible. I mean, it's almost you know the, the argument along has long been there's more non-English than English people playing in the in the Premier League, right? Uh, but yeah, in terms of some of the practical steps that you know the uh, the football associations and the clubs have taken are, are great. Uh, you know, so, uh, why don't you qu- very quickly, Paul, tell us about some of the initiatives that are going on and perhaps some of the initiatives that you might like to see in the future to help uh, eliminate that kind of racism and and that stereotype that people may still hold on to. Yeah, well, I think I think first and foremost that. that most of the positive that's come within football has come in two ways. It's come from a bottom-down approach, which yeah. is fa- fans standing mm. up within their own stadia and Fantastic. saying, we don't want that here. Excellent. We don't want that yeah. where we come to watch our football. And yeah. that's where it all started for me. At the yeah. same time, the, the, the football and authorities took the top-down approach to the yes. FA, the PFA, yeah. and they took a zero-tolerance approach to racism, yeah. Yeah. and that's then backed by the clubs, backed by the players. Yeah. And, and we do we do have this zero-tolerance environment now, like Stuart yeah. said. Yeah. What we have to worry about is what goes on outside the stadium, yeah. what goes on on every other day of the week when a football match isn't taking place. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, I mean... Yeah, you know, maybe yourself, both of you chaps, question to both of you because I'm I'm, I'm running out of time. But, but you know, you know, you got you know ten thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand, sixty thousand attending some of these football games. Is there maybe it's already happening? But is there a case there to actually football to work in hand in hand with some of those local authorities, get some funding coming from those authorities? If not, some of these clubs are far rich enough to be able to fund some of these kind of campaigns themselves to actually reach out to the fans, have a more proactive campaign with the fans as they're coming to these games to address the problem of racism in a very more proactive manner. Is that already happening or am I speaking about something that's already happened and, and, and been there, uh, uh, Stuart and Paul? Uh, I think um, if I can just come in there and, and you know involve Paul in my answer because we, we work very closely with show races and the red card in that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not always about money. Um, yeah. And I see where you're coming. At the prem, in the Premier League... Yeah. It is a wash with money. We know Absolutely. that. In League One, at our level, it, the game isn't. You know, yeah. we, we do as much as we can yeah. with limited resources. And but this, example, this is my question here: is, is should the councils also be, you know, an active, you know, well, participant in this? Well, they, they, you know, they are. They, we right. all, we, we get council campaigns to support every week. You know, I get something coming through. But right. this is what I was coming on to. All mm. clubs. And my, myself, in my role, we are willing to support show races and the red card. Yeah. Kick it out. We have a dedicated match day for kick it out later in the season when we play Blackpool, as we do every season. Yeah. I've got an event that I'm organising with, our, along with our community trust, right. on January the 24th at our stadium with with show races and the red card coming to 
deliver it's an educational afternoon for right. over 100 local school kids where we'll have fantastic our manager nathan jones who's a patron for show races and the red card right um Stuart and, and paul unfortunately i'm about to uh, i'll have to cut you because we're going to go into a commercial break and and and, and the, the studio systems just take over from from any conversation that i may be engaged with so i want to you know show my courtesy and show my respect and thank you gentlemen for your time this evening uh, for coming Absolutely. on and even for those couple of minutes that you've uh, you know discussed that subject matter with me it's been brilliant Stuart, paul thank you very very much for joining me this evening and I'd love to talk Have to you again time. and again. Oh, any time, pleasure. Fantastic. Thank you very much, chaps. Uh, that was Stuart and Paul. Uh, we were discussing racism and we're going into commercial break and I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Until then, Salaamu Alaikum You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live on this very cold evening on the Friday the 14th of December and we have already gone through the first hour of the show and we're in the last hour of the show. As always, broadcasting live on Inspire FM 105.1 FM and also broadcasting live to our sister stations up and down the country. If you want to get in touch and get in uh, get in touch and join today's debate and discussion, the number in the studio is 01582481822. 01582481822. For those of you that prefer the social media avenue for your WhatsApp and your SMS messages, it's 0779 0779481822. Right, so we have and we're going to continue uh, with our discussion on race. And just before I went into the break, I was speaking to two lovely gentlemen, Stuart Hammond from the Luton Town Press and Media Manager and Paul Kearns, from, uh, who's the Deputy Chief Executive of Show Racism, the Red Card. And we were discussing racism within the footballing context, right? Within the footballing context, of course, this is on the back end of this week's uh, racism encounter uh, that, you know, that Raheem Sterling faced at the game away at Chelsea right and then it obviously caused a social media stir there there was headlines in the mainstream media with regards to racism within football John Barnes's videos gone around viral and his interview on BBC breakfast uh, where he's made some fantastic points with regards to racism being an endemic societal problem and not a problem related to football and it's a good point it's a point that was re-echoed by the earlier guests I had on the on the on the radio and now we're going to be discussing very briefly for the next 10 minutes or so racism within the employment within the employment arena right so you know racism at work perhaps you know what what, what is you know you may have experienced it yourself as an individual you know an experience you know racism you know or a racist you know a slur or you know or, or a comment by a colleague by a manager at work what do you do what is your recount how does the law protect you we're going to be speaking to someone hopefully who can provide some guidance on that but i want to hear your thoughts and your experiences on racism and how you feel we can deal with it. Get in touch 01582481822 to speak to me or my guest live here in the studio. But before we do that, let me go directly to our next guest, who is, I believe, Emma. 
Bartlett. Hopefully I've got the name correct. I'm really awful with getting names correct first time. Who I believe is a partner, uh, Charles Russell. And uh, the, in the notes that I have here is that Emma advises on all aspects of employment law to confirm that. Let me welcome Emma Bartlett on the on the show. Thank you very much for joining us, Emma Bartlett, on uh, Inspire FM Friday Night Live. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Yes, you got my name right. Fantastic, right. Okay, so that, that's great. That's a good start, Emma. I, I, I understand you advise on all aspects of employment law, right? So hopefully you are going to cover and give us a bit of insight with regards to racism. And, and that's the topic that we're discussing this evening. Uh, and it's not obviously just restricted and isolated to football. We all know that. And unfortunately, some of us sometimes experience that within our empl- em- employment and work environment. Uh, what, what, what are the facts? and figures and what what is it how often and frequently do you kind of cover those kind of cases from a from a legal perspective emma so i've um i've been an employment lawyer for many years now and i have a particular focus on uh, discrimination in the workplace and um, racism is a big part of it racism gender um, disability and age are the key um aspects of Mm. um, unequal treatment in the workplace. And I would say um, 50% of what we do involves allegations of, um, of the cases that we look after involve allegations of racism. Right, right. And and, and Emma, let let me ask you, I mean, uh, are you seeing the the trend going upwards, downwards? Is it flat? Or, you know, what has been your experience from the, you know, from the cases that you're dealing with over the last couple of years, for example? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I would say, um, unfortunately, there's no change um, mm. in behaviours in the workplace. I think, uh, save that employers are more engaged mm. with trying to develop policies and practices that will tackle it and mm. trying to get colleagues to call out um, racist and discriminatory behaviour generally, mm. um, or at least take action to support people that may be victims of it in the workplace. So I, I think employers are more alive to the issue than they were certainly five, ten years ago. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's a question. I'm not, I'm not sure to what extent you're going to be able to, you know, answer it. But I, I mean, you know, it's like football. You know, when football is told, look, you need to address the problem of racism. I mean, we can't realistically expect football to stamp out racism. And you can't expect, you know, uh, because there's obviously a lot of legislation that's been brought in. There's a lot of checkpoints that have been brought in. And, and sometimes it's almost like, you know, if it's felt that the organizations have just got a checklist that they just need to go through to show that, look, we are not racist and we are, you know, accommodating and we are you know employing people of all diversities all backgrounds and so on and so forth how much to what extent is it a checklist exercise and to what extent is it actually you know if you're not seeing a a dip in the trend then it's almost you know supports my view that it's almost a a checklist exercise and not something which is actually in the ethos and uh, you know in 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 the psyche of of employment uh, employers and, and organizations yeah you're right um you know our legislation trying to wipe out discrimination in the workplace has been around um, for a very long time, several decades now, Mm. um, and it's not really something on its own that is sufficient to eradicate racism in the workplace. It's a cultural issue, it's a societal issue, Mm. and um, employers have to do more than just simply have a policy which says you cannot do this, Mm. Um, and they have to regularly train staff on Mm. what is um, disrespectful behaviours yeah. um, in order to try and remove it. So that that's part and parcel of it. But as mm. I said, it's 
it's got to be about transparency mm. in the workplace, in my view, in trying to understand whether an employer is treating somebody fairly and equally. Mm. If we know why an employer is doing something in relation to an individual, then it helps understand what the underlying reason for it is. Mm. And um, it's, so it's a, it's a two-pronged approach, really. Yeah, but yeah. we re- really need to have employers that are um, assisting and supporting colleagues in feeling confident to discuss issues and raise mm. awareness themselves rather than just pulling for and you know dusting off that policy mm. and reaching for it when it gets to crisis point yeah no absolutely i mean it's every so often that you you see that these kind of stories make the you know the the you know the headlines and everyone's suddenly discussing it and you know last couple of months you know of course women within the workforce employment you know equal pay you know that that made a lot of headlines and you know of course you know facts and figures came out in terms of how much the men are being paid versus the women are being paid for mm. exactly the same job right and of course that did a fantastic you know uh, it did very well for actually bringing that to the forefront and, and you know women raised their pro, you know their cases and you know that was a discussion and you know a lot of corrective actions and measures were put in place right uh, so i mean do you feel that uh, on the back end of these kind of uh kind of almost, I don't know, campaigns that, you know, people are feeling a lot more empowered and, and the fact that there is, a, you know, avenues to seek support and, and justice as opposed to, you know, being intimidated and, and forced into a corner and not, not able to actually exercise any rights for people who, who are victims of, uh, of racism within the employment workspace, for example. Um, I, think, I think there is a, a, a better understanding of what mm. racism is in the workplace than there was um, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. The um, gender pay reporting um, that you're referring to that um, requires larger employers to publish their gender pay um, disparity in their statistics has done um, a great deal for making employers thinking about why there are differences yeah. in the way um, men and women are paid in the workplace. Mm. And the next thing that will come is um, ethnicity mm. reporting. And that's going to be very hard, I think, to categorize. Is, is that due? Is that, is that something that's due? I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Um, uh, there is a great deal of pressure on the oh, larger pressure. employers. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's certainly not something that's on the statute books at the moment, but yeah. there is pressure on larger employers to look at um, ethnic diversity in the workplace and start to publish some statistics, particularly where it comes in mm. relation to pay. Mm. And what that will do is make employers start to think about, right, do we have an issue? And if we do, why have we got an issue? And yeah. the same way that with gender reporting, yeah. um, you know, in some places they say, right, we do seem to have an issue here because there, there seems to be a, a, a preponderance of women holding the junior less paid roles and yeah. um, too many men perhaps at, at the higher end. Why is that? And it's, again, it comes down to cultural issues and societal issues. Mm. And there are practical things we can do to, to change that in improving our environment in the workplace and make people stop thinking about gender as a reason as to why somebody should have access to particular training or be promoted mm. um, and I would hope that the same thing will happen um, once you've got something that is measurable mm. and you can see that there are disparities then you would expect the employer to start thinking about right how do we correct that and yeah. then it makes them think wider about it.
Yeah. Okay. Uh, th- th- thank you very much for for that. And 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 uh, and uh, Emma, just if I can ask you, I mean, a lot of our listeners, you know, if, if maybe they have experienced something that they feel, you know, is along the lines that we're w- what we're discussing. What what would be, you know, your advice in terms of what, what are the kind of first steps that uh, so someone should consider who's perhaps been a victim and you know or, of racism within the, the the working environment, for example. I mean, surely it's not to contact the lawyers immediately, right? There, there must be some recourse internally within some of these organizations yeah that's absolutely right so most employers would should have um, a grievance procedure which would encourage individuals to try and resolve these sort of issues informally and if um, they can't then they go to a formal grievance procedure um, which which can be quite daunting so my advice to an individual who perceives that they are suffering from racism in the workplace would be to um, raise the matter informally if they can. So if somebody is um, uh, making racist slurs or behaviours towards them, Mm. um, try and ask them not to do it. Um, But I know that that's a huge ask for some people. The next thing is to instead to go to um, either human resources or somebody who is responsible for people management and Mm. say to them, look, this is happening Mm. and see if you can get some uh, buddy who will um, then support you. Even if uh, the individual who is um, the harasser in these circumstances Mm. doesn't understand that that's what they're doing, Mm. it doesn't matter. It should still be addressed. Mm. So I would try and encourage somebody to find uh, somebody who will champion their cause and will assist them in going forwards. Um, yeah, lawyers re- really sh- shouldn't be the first port of call yeah. for this because um, if there's no reason, there's no reason why this individual should have to leave their employment mm. or mm. feel that they're in a huge dispute with their employer. Yeah. It's better to try and tackle it on the ground in the first instance. No, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I mean, a last final question for you, Emma, if if, sure. if if I may. I mean, we're talking about employment, we're talking about football, uh, but even I mean, it, within the legal world, right? You know, it's often you know uh, you know epitomised you know as a as almost a white male middle class kind of you know very difficult for ethnic minorities, even for for, for the women folk to actually break into you know the the higher end of of the of the, of the legal world, right? So yeah. I, I mean. It, it's it's across all of these different sectors, right? So I mean, how are you seeing uh, the the kind of trend in, in all of this? I, I, are you seeing positive initiatives? Are you seeing you know uh, initiatives where you know things are opening up a lot more now, and there are you know uh, initiatives to actually open up these areas to uh, to other you know kind of agendas, or are you are you still seeing uh, the, this problem kind of dominant? Um. Yes, I think you're right in in some particular sectors. Yeah. There is this um, particular old-fashioned corporate image yeah. which um, isn't as inclusive as it, it could be. Uh, it's not as representative as the um, area in which we live and work, is it? Mm. And um, what I do see employers doing now, and they do it very well, is holding up role models um, within their organisations uh, so that um, the young people who are coming in who are of a different ethnic background, mm. uh, colour or race are able to look up and say, I can see myself in this workplace. And our firm in particular did a great thing for um, Black History Month in um, right. October this year where we 
got a, um, involved with a number of schools that we support and we organised a panel debate with um, a number of black lawyers and we also got Reggie Nelson in to talk to us. I, I'm sure you've heard of him, yeah, yeah. Um, which was very inspirational because um, it, it encouraged, we're, we're saying, um, we don't care which what your background is, we yeah. want to support you and um, we hope we're providing role models for individuals. Yeah, fantastic. Emma Bartlett, thank you very much this evening for joining us and giving us your time on this uh, Friday evening. Uh, thank you very much. I'd love to speak to you for a lot longer, but unfortunately, <laughs> you've got to move on to some other uh, topics now. Thank You're you very, very much for your, for your time this evening, Emma. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, that was uh, Emma Bartlett. Uh, thank you very much, Emma, for your time this evening, uh, f- uh, who was a partner at Charles Russell, right? So a partner at Charles Russell, advising on all aspects of employment law. And it was great to hear from, from Emma. I almost lost it in my last question. Uh, I, I was I was thinking of something else, and I was going in a completely different direction. But what my, my point was that there is a lot more engagement in a lot of these organizations now where uh, you know a lot of other you know there are a lot of opportunities uh, there are a lot of institutions that have been set up a lot of clubs a lot of societies within within the corporate world now where you can actually you know present you know your views you can present you know your you know what your what your ethnic minority is about what your religion may be about what your identity may be about and you can actually use you know those forums within organizations to actually you know create a lot more awareness so for example you know in the city I'm, I'm from the investment banking background a lot of those investment banks and a lot of those you know in, in the banking world have a lot of Islamic societies and those Islamic societies are engaged with the non-Muslim uh, colleagues our white colleagues to encouraging them and to actually reaching out to them to tell them and inform them about Islam what Islam is about what Muslims are about what, why we need to pray five times a day what our values are what our concepts are what Ramadan is about, what Eid is about, and so on and so forth, so that it generates a lot more awareness in our in our working environment. So I think we should definitely take, you know, advantage of these opportunities that exist, right? That exist so that you know we can inform those people around us a lot more. Right, listeners, so this is uh, Friday Night Live and you are with me, Hafi Shaban, on Inspire FM, uh, 105.1 FM, Friday Night Live. And I am due to hear from you, our listeners, 01582481822. I did expect and I was hoping that a lot of our listeners will actually be calling in and giving me their views and their experiences on racism. 01582481822. Let's see if I can get a call in the last 35 minutes that remain of this show this evening right so it's 01582481822 now i'm going to be moving on to a slightly different look towards racism and that's islam and racism right i'm going to be discussing islam and racism uh, and i want to get your thoughts 0779481822 0779481822 now we've been discussing racism and we've been discussing, you know, how some of these uh, non-white footballing, uh, you know, champions in the Premier League have been facing racism. And, you know, John Barnes was very clear that it's, it's, it's almost like an invisible, banana, you know, banana skin that's thrown, at, you know, the, the, at the, you know, the black players and, and in society uh, for, for a black individual in society every day, every day. And we know that racism is dominant in all aspects of society. It's not just, you know, 
know, football, it's not just the working environment, it's all aspects of society. So we know that. And recently we've seen that, that you know, being used in the anti-immigration, the migrant kind of discussion with regards to Brexit and so on and forth. That really spurs up that kind of atmosphere of hate towards non-white communities, right? But let me ask you a slightly different question. Does racism exist within the Muslim community, right? Does Muslim uh, do, do, does racism exist within our community? Yes or no? Unfortunately, it does exist in our community too. Sometimes we can be racist against, and you can show racism against one another, right? Depending on wherever where where from, from, right? So someone's from Bangladesh, someone's from Pakistan, someone's from India. Sometimes some one's an Arab, one's a non-Arab, and sometimes we can be racist towards one another. In fact, I find that we can even discriminate against one another. We may be from the same country, but from a different city. And that's a reason for us to discriminate against one another. And sometimes we may be from the same city, but from a different tribe. And that's a basis of racism and discrimination against one another. So it exists within our own community. But, but Islam, subhanAllah, Islam addressed this problem fundamentally many, many, many years ago. And that is the amazing thing. Now, when you discuss racism in the, in the societal context, in the current context that we're discussing it, then what we find is that football employers, right, they have been told to address racism. Laws are being introduced to address racism. Whether it's the Race Relations Act in 1965, which was then amended in 1968. Whether it's the McPherson Report into the Death of Stephen Lawrence, which was published in 1999, which found that the Metropolitan Police was institutionally racist. So you find all, you know, you, know, you want the police to be against racists. You want the football to, you know, football associations and authorities to address with racism. You want employers to address with racism. But the fundamental problem is that racism, it can't be solved by these institutions because it's a societal problem. It's a societal problem. It's an ideological problem. It's a problem that exists in our society, in the current society, top down. That is the problem, right from the root cause or the root of the roots of the ideology. All right. And we'll discuss what that means a little later. Now, I want to go to Islam. And Islam addressed the problems of racism, not through law. It didn't address the problems of racism through law. It didn't address the problem of racism through football. It didn't even address the problem of racism through the employers. When Islam was revealed 1400 years ago, are you telling me there was no racism? There was huge levels of racism. The Arabs completely looked down upon the, the non-Arabs. The, the, the blacks in that society were treated in a very negative way. We know there was slavery was, was, domin, was dominant. We know that the women had no rights and so on and so forth. So how did Islam solve this problem? Islam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet sallallahu addressed this problem right from its roots and it was ideologically addressed. Ideologically addressed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam solved that problem. It wasn't football. It wasn't employment. It wasn't, you know, this institution or that institution, but it was ideologically addressed. What do I mean by that? I mean that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Islam for humanity, for the human being. 
It doesn't matter whether you're white, it doesn't matter whether you're black, it doesn't matter whether you're Arab, it doesn't matter whether you're non-Arab, it doesn't matter whether you're a slave, it doesn't matter whether you're a king, it doesn't matter whether you're a millionaire, it doesn't matter whether you're educated, it doesn't matter whether you have a degree or whether it doesn't matter whether you're illiterate. You are all equal in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the only one who is higher than the other is the one who has the greater level of taqwa with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and me and you are unable to distinguish and discern between who has more taqwa or who has less taqwa. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam eradicated racism by making you all equal. You're all equal. Right? And that is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed it. And that's why when the Quraysh, they would see Bilal right, you know, climbing on top of the Kaaba and standing on top of the Kaaba and calling the Azan, they said this, the Astaghfirullah, they used to say this Negro, this, this, this slave, Islam has empowered him to such an extent that he can now rise on top of the, uh, the Kaaba, which was this huge you know, religious symbol and, 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 and figure even for the Arabs and even for the non-Muslims even at the time of before Islam and, and during Islam, that that was the status that Islam gave to Bilal and Bilal had no status, he was just a servant, he was a slave. And Islam raised his status to make him equal to those who were the aristocrats and those that were the leaders at the time of of Quraysh. So that's how Islam addressed it. A root cause, fundamental, right? A root cause, fundamental. It doesn't mean that Islam, that racism immediately went away. We know even at the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, it existed because of the jahiliyyah and because of the, uh, because of what the, what, what existed beforehand. We know that, you know, that the Arabs at that time, they had this attitude towards the non-Arabs. And that's why we see that Abu Dhar, for example, we see this. It still remained in some of the Sahabi to some extent, but Islam eradicated it. And there was a famous and one of the most lovely examples that come to my mind is when Abu Dhar, Abu Dhar al-Ghaffar, what a noble Sahabi of the Prophet But once he got into an altercation with Bilal radiallahu anhu, once he got into an argument, once he, he, he got angry with Bilal radiallahu anhu, and he called Bilal the son of a black woman. He called Bilal the son of a black woman, right? And when he called Bilal the son of a black woman, Bilal radiallahu anhu, he went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi and the Prophet sallallahu got angry and said, oh, Bil uh, oh Abu Dhar, you are a man who has ignorance. And Abu Dhar, he felt such a great remorse that he put his cheek, he put his face on the ground and he said, oh Bilal, I want you to tread on my face with your foot. And take your recompense, Allahu Akbar. That is how Islam addressed it, right from the root cause. And subhanAllah, even when remnants existed and remained, the Sahaba, they recognized the filth of this racism. And he put his face to the ground and he said, Bilal, put your foot on my face so that we may become equal. Allahu Akbar. That is Islam, and that is how Islam dealt with this problem of racism. I'm running out of time. We're going to go into a commercial break. When I come back, I want to say a couple of more words. Just a reminder, you're with me, Hafiz Shaban, on Friday Night Live. And we are live on Inspire FM, 105.1 FM. We're going to go into a commercial break, and I'll be back in a couple of minutes when we'll have the last half an hour of the show. And I want to hear from you, our listeners. Until then, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Friday Night Live with me, Hafiz Shaban. 
Live on Inspire FM, 105.1 FM, and also live across some of our sister stations up and down the country, including radio. Uh, Link FM in Sheffield, Peterborough, Salam, Derby and Nottingham nationally and internationally via the Inspire FM app and also Facebook live streaming. So plenty of ways of actually following our conversations and our debates and our discussions and also most importantly trying to get involved from our listeners. 01582481822 is the number for you to call me here in the studio and speak to me direct. to send in your SMS and your WhatsApp messages and to get involved with some of our conversation and our debate evening inshallah and we are now approaching and we are in fact in the middle of or in the last half an hour of this evening's show inshallah ta'ala so we're going to be wrapping up very shortly with our last conversation of this evening uh, but before that it would be great to hear some of your thoughts inshallah ta'ala on what's been discussed this evening we've had the update from the from from some of our campaigners discussing and giving us update on the muslim situation muslim Uyghur situation in china in uh, Uyghur region uh, Xinjiang region of, of china and then we've been discussing racism racism over the last hour uh, and initially we've obviously been discussing it from the context of football because again it reared his ugly head and uh, and that was on the back end of last week's uh, you know match between Manchester City and Chelsea and Raheem Sterling facing re- uh, you know racist chance at the at the Chelsea Stamford Bridge on uh, by the Chelsea uh, supporters and that obviously gave rise to a lot of discussion with regards to racism still being prevalent in our society. But again, it's not only the footballing world and arena where racism exists, but in fact, when you actually look at it, it exists in all aspects of society. Football, you know, employment, politics, sports, police, judiciary, legal, you know, and the list just continues, right? So it's the key thing. And I think those of us that followed the, you know, have followed the debate, I've read about the debate uh, and I've followed some of the interviews that have been going on, right? The key thing is it's an institutional problem. It's an ideological problem which needs to be addressed ideologically. It needs to be addressed institutionally. It needs to be addressed from top down whilst it also needs to address be addressed from bottom upwards approach right but it is the top down and i was given a, a, the 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 parallels of how islam dealt with racism 1400 years ago and islam rooted out racism right from the top down approach right it didn't need a bottoms up approach it came top down because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed islam revealed you know to man that all man is equal in front of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the believers are all equal and the believers are brothers and the believers are brothers. And the other interesting thing was that even before Islam, that slavery, uh, whilst it existed, for example, it didn't exist just for the black community. It wasn't the fact that all the blacks were just tied up and made into slaves just because of the, they were blacks. It, that wasn't the racism and uh, or the degree of racism that existed in the Arab society before Islam. In fact, whether you were Arab, whether you were non-Arab, i.e. Persian, whether you were from the African region or 
irrespective of the color of your skin, you could be actually bought and you could be raised up in slavery irrespective of your background. And that's why we know Salman al-Farsi, for example, he was uh, also you know turned into uh, a slave. And we know even Arabs uh, that were slaves in the, at that time in that society. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Islam eradicated racism ideologically. Right, and then that permeated into the ummah, into the society, and people recognized the fact that they were all equal in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whilst racism it will emanate and it will raise its ugly head within us as individuals because of our uh, because of us as individuals, because of us as as uh, and our own experiences, Islam and the Islamic legislation addresses that. And that's why Rasulullah sallallahu when he when Bilal went to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam with the complaint that Abu Dhar had called him the son of a black woman, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam got angry and told him, "You are a man who has jahiliya still in him. You still have a remnant of jahiliya in him." And Subhanallah, wallahi, my, it is not the fact that Abu Dhar called Bilal that it is actually the response of Abu Dhar which is absolutely incredible, and that was the Sahaba. Abu Dhar al-Ghaffari, he put his face, he put his cheek to the ground. He, or, you know, you can you imagine that. I want you to imagine that. I want you to think about that. He just laid himself on the floor. He put his face to the floor. He put his cheek to the floor. And he said, oh, Bilal, put your foot on top of my face. Put it on top of my cheek so that my ego and my, and my error may be corrected. That was the sincerity, that was the ikhlas, that was the pure nature of the hearts and the minds of the Sahabi radiallahu and who realized that they made a mistake and immediately sought to correct it. And that is the, you know, that, that is the message that I'm going to, you know, convey to our community, to our community, because racism exists and we discriminate all the time. We discriminate. We don't need to wait for someone else is discriminated against me and call me this or call me that, right? And that is also a case, right? But we, we a lot of the times we discriminate against one another. And I've already mentioned in terms of our ethnicities, our tribes, our backgrounds, our cities that we belong to. And we need to remember again this hadith, and we need to remember this incident, and we need to remember the Quran and what the Quran teaches us. In the Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Verily, this ummah, in the ummatukum ummatun wahida, wa ana rabbukum fa'abudun, wa ana rabbukum." That all of you, this ummah is one ummah, right? And I am the Lord, so worship me. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in his famous khutbah al-wida made it very clear that no Arab has superiority over non-Arab. And no non-Arab has superiority over an Arab. No one, you know, it doesn't matter what passport you hold, doesn't matter what ethnicity you hold, you are all equal in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright, so that is a clear takeaway point for us inshallah ta'ala and that is the way we need to address racism we need to address racism in that context when you address racism it's not just because in the in the in the context of football in the context of employment in the context of the police in the context of uh, the legal world is a context of ideologically right now ideologically when you look at the uh, the british history and a lot of people and, and i've read some interesting points uh, and articles even even this week that look when you look at a society and the british society Society, you can see that in fact the the this kind of mentality it goes back and that is why a lot of commentators and a lot of comedians they will discuss British history they will discuss American history and they will go back right to those times when you know they enslaved you know all of these you know migrants and these uh, you know the people of the of uh, the African you know countries that the black people and they you know locked them up and then they enslaved them and they just made them work for the for the colonial masters right. 
And we see that these empires, they shackled these people, they physically enslaved millions and they profited from the slave trade, okay, to extract these raw resources. And the idea that was sold to build a public opinion for this was, domestically was, in their projection of a superiority of the European or the white race. Right, so we're the European, we're the white race, and we're superior over everyone else. And the burden that we have to carry is that we have to civilize these barbarians from the rest of the world. So that was the mentality. That was the mentality. And you know, you can read about the British history. You can read about the American history. Is out there is facts. They're the facts, and that's the history. And this is not a one year or a ten year or a fifteen year. This is a legacy. And this is the legacy that's continuing, right? And that is why, you know what's interesting? What is interesting, right? You know, so many times I've heard this. How many times have you heard this about women and Islam being barbaric towards the women? And Islam being this and Islam being that? It's incredible. Because when you read, and, and, and I, what, what did I just cite to you? I just cited to you, Islam 1400 years ago dealt with the problem of racism. It's 2018. We're turning to 2019 and we can't address the problem of racism in Western society. 1965, 1968, 1999, legislation being brought in to address what? To make it illegal. To make it illegal, to make discrimination illegal, to make it a civil offense rather than a criminal offense, right? This is 1965, 1968, 1999, and it's still we've got a problem of racism. Islam addressed the problem of racism 1400 years ago, and that is the incredible thing. And then they talk about Islam as being backwards. Come on, take a rain check. Right, so subhanAllah, I think that is the way we need to address the, the problem of racism. And, and at the moment, I have to be honest, one, one area that I, di I, I didn't cite earlier, right, or maybe I did politics, but the, the political sphere. I mean, politically, we can see that in the whole debate of this, in, in the whole run-up to this uh, debate and this decision around Brexit, anti-immigration, anti-migrants, and we've seen even the, the, the you know, the kind of uh, John Barnes's you know, video was fantastic because he cites out and he raises the case of the of the Muslims and how the Muslims are targeted, right? And that's fantastic. I mean, if you didn't watch that John Barnes's video, I really recommend you to go and watch John Barnes's video and see how he raises these uh, issues. I think we as, as a community, we need to be a lot more stronger. We need to be a lot more ideological. We need to be, uh, we need to understand this issue of racism a lot from a wider perspective, right? Uh, and then we can raise this discussion and this debate amongst our Muslims and amongst our non-Muslim colleagues. And I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I have to say, we have to raise it amongst our non-Muslim, uh, amongst our Muslim you know, colleagues too, inshallah too, because this is a problem that affects our society and i would always say whilst there are preventative measures that are being taken within the footballing world within the working world within the legal world within the political world it is uh, in, uh, in terms of addressing the problems uh, but prevention is better than code we need to address it from a root cause problem and the root cause is institutional ideological and that is the key thing Inshallah ta'ala. Alright, so we're going to wrap up this discussion on racism and we're going to be going on to our final uh, subject matter of the discussion for tonight, inshallah ta'ala. And hopefully over the next couple of minutes, we're going to be speaking to uh, Dr. Salman, inshallah. Dr. Salman, we're going to be speaking to him because Dr. Salman has been back to the... Let me see if I can bring it up here. But Dr. Salman has been back to the high courts, right? He's been in the, he's been a busy man, mashallah. I met up with a brother not too long ago. I happened to bump into uh, Dr. Salman in East London, mashallah. But Dr. Salman has been back into uh, the courts of appeal. He's keeping himself 
busy as always, inshallah. So why don't I speak to Dr. Saman directly and uh, find out what Dr. Saman's been busy with, inshallah. Uh, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, Dr. Saman, and welcome to uh, Friday Night Live with me, Hafi Shaban and Inspire FM. Wa alaikum assalam bro. Uh, inshallah, before I actually speak to you with regards to what you've been doing in the in the courts of appeals, Akhi, I want to get an update from you with regards to Sheikh Haytham Al Haddad. That we, I think, a lot of us will obviously follow the news and uh, read, inshallah, ta'ala, you know, the the website. Uh, and we know the Sheikh has not been too well recently, but mashallah, very high spirits. I know you're you're a brother who speaks to the Sheikh quite regular. Why don't you give our listeners an update in terms of how the Sheikh is doing? Inshallah, uh, Well, mashallah, the Sheikh, as you said, he's in very high spirits. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Um, you know, he's still um, um, giving everyone advice, and um, you know, there for people to come and um, ask questions. And um, you know, he's still trying to be as active as he, uh, as he normally is. Mashallah. Mashallah. He's still in the middle of um, sort of treatment, but. Uh, He's, um, he wants all the, uh, last time I spoke to him, he, went, he said he wants all the brothers and sisters to know that, you know, um, it's, uh, he feels and, and he's certain that it's the du'as, uh, the dhikr and the Qur'an and all of the du'as of the people that, you know, is really helping uh, him in this, uh, in this time, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So this is, this is uh, for all of our listeners, mashallah. We want all of our listeners to, to raise their hands, make dua and say ameen for, uh, for our Sheikh Haytham al-Haddad, mashallah, who of, of, of course is going through uh, cancer at the moment and, and receiving the, the treatment, inshallah ta'ala. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give him the best of the health, uh, a speedy recovery so he can continue in his, uh, in his da'wah, mashallah. And, uh, you know, some of the reports that I read recently, mashallah, is that the Sheikh is, uh, as uh, Dr. Samana said, in 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 active as usual, mashallah. Even in this uh, in this time, and uh, our du'as with uh, with 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 the sheikh, inshallah. Jazakallah here for that for that update, Dr. Saman. Uh, and now back over to yourself, Akhi. When you've been a uh, uh, you're a busy individual, but you've been even more busy recently. You've been in the high courts, I understand again. Yeah, we were in the court of appeals this time. It's a it's a long process. Uh, right. It's uh, likely to end up in the Supreme Court, but. Uh, many people have said that uh, it's very important not just for the Muslim community, but generally it's a, a lot of people have said it's a it's a constitutional matter, you know, that's being decided mm. in mm. terms of um, you know people's um, that citizens protect data protection yeah. uh, from government departments, yeah. especially you know using um, automated tools, you know, uh, mm. uh, certain automated tools to gather people's data and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, and also the issue of more explicitly around prevent, yeah, mm. the definition of so-called extremism. Um, so, I mean, our, I don't know how familiar you are with the case, but um, we, but, we, but uh, I was going to uh, say to you, Dr. Saman, why don't you just uh, briefly summarize, uh, you know, the case uh, for our listeners just to refresh, uh, rejog our memories. Yeah, so the, um, um, the the judicial review, uh, the case was along two grounds. So judicial review is basically um, when you get some judges to review uh, a law or the actions of the government to see if it's in line with the law uh, and other more important um, kind of uh, legislation such as, you know, um, either common law or, um, you know, the... Um, European Convention on Human Rights and so forth. So we were arguing on two grounds. Number one was the fact that um, 
we were arguing that the government's prevent policy is unlawful mm. um, because the government doesn't have the um, right, in other words, to legislate or give guidance against something called extremism. Mm. What Parliament did give the government um, a mandate to do was put in measures for reducing terror or uh, for preventing terrorism, yeah. but not for preventing something called extremism. Mm. Um, and uh, as you know, as many people know, the, the you know when you talk about extremism, it's something yeah. so vague and yeah. um, kind of ambiguous that it, mm. in, in, it includes so many people, much broader than terrorism. So people who do you know very um, otherwise peaceful and, and kind of law-abiding citizens, yeah. it, it includes them uh, in this definition as well. And this is what has kind of led to um, so many issues right. with regards to prevent yeah. you know, um, normal kind of Islamic practices and beliefs being labeled as extreme. Yeah. So that was the argument there in terms of, you know, the government shouldn't be um, issuing guidance about reducing extremism, nonviolent extremism, full stop. You know, this is something against um, just natural justice, against common sense, and it happens to be against, you know, as we're arguing, um, people's convention uh, rights in terms yeah. of you know freedom to believe what they want to believe. So, so what was what was the second is the second uh, approach or a second argument that you were presenting? To the the second was about um, a previously secretive um, department within the Home Office, a mm. group called the Extremism Analysis Unit, which okay. was set up to do this kind of stuff. Okay. Um, to Essentially, we're arguing carry out surveillance on people. Mm. Um, but what we uncovered in the case was that they were taking information uh, from third-party organisations, private organisations, including the infamous Student Rights yeah. uh, branch of the Henry Jackson Society. Oh, really? So, um, so they were taking basically information gathered yeah. and, and accusations of extremism gathered from these um, kind of Islamophobic think tanks right, right. and using it to label people and hold uh, information about them. Extreme, so we extreme, extremism analysis unit, is, is, is that seriously a, a body that exists? Is, is <laughs> that, that sounds yeah, crazy. Yeah. It, it is crazy. That's that's what we've been arguing. It sounds, it it sounds more uh, more appropriate for a police state. Uh, we were discussing China earlier. I mean, yeah. that that sounds like something out of China or, or one of the Gulf states. Especially if you, especially if you consider the government's then uh, definition of extremism as something uh, along the lines of against or disagreeing with British values. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You have it similarly to the McCarthy era in the yeah. United States where you had councils for monitoring un-American activity. Uh, I, I mean, the department for monitoring un-British activity. And, exactly, and exactly. And, and that, that was going to be my next question to you, is that, you know, in terms of even defining extremism, extremism, in, you know, against what criteria, against what baseline? And this is why um, the, the government's attempt to push through an extremism bill hmm. has failed again and again because... Um, whether it's the House of Commons, whether it's the House of Lords, they keep rejecting their proposals of giving some, giving them powers to um, basically, you know, limit the the, the rights of so-called extremists. Mm. Because they they the, the the House of Lords, the House of Commons, they keep you know bringing up this core issues. Mm. How do you define an extremist? You're, you know, yeah, one, exactly. even one of the judges, yeah. uh, a court of appeals judge, a few months ago in a similar case that I was in. He said, uh, isn't one man's extremist just another man's yeah, serious exactly. 
Exactly, exactly. So how how's the experience been of, of the courts of appeals and, and what what's next, uh, Dr. Saman? Alhamdulillah, I mean, uh, we wait for several months for the um, uh, judgment probably, and mm. then um, um, we take it from there. It's, as I said, it's likely to, because of something so important, uh, mm. it's likely to go to the Supreme Court. Um, to you know, get get uh, um, an argument to, to to get a point on actual constitutional kind of points uh, argued. Um, however, I mean, the, a very important thing for me alongside this is just to to empower our community to you know not feel that you you have to just take uh, these arbitrary restrictions absolutely, uh, absolutely. In, in 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 government or whoever. Yeah. And um, the fact that you know, you, you can. It, it, we want to get people to think more like citizens and not subjects. Absolutely. Right? I think that's a very important point in terms of, you know, not being intimidated by this, but, you know, realizing that although it's a difficult recourse in terms of the, even the legal options here, right, uh, in terms of expense and, and the processes, but, you know, you have got an equal right and you have got a right to challenge this rather than just being cornered into a, you know, into a corner. Absolutely, and, and, and we have to do this, otherwise mm. it's going to get worse for everyone, not just the Muslims. Because mm. I always say the Muslims are the canary in the coal mine with this all this extremism stuff. Yeah. In that, okay, we're the first kind of people to be uh, affected by this. But if, if history is, shows us anything, it's that, you know, whenever a government, whenever someone in power, they get the taste of arbitrarily restricting people's rights, mm. it's only a matter of time before that, you know, that uh, circle of, inexpressible opinion gets wider and wider mm. so we shouldn't say you know the government's not that bad and you know they, yeah. they won't do that you know, something so evil yeah this this government might be okay but in 20 years time 30 years time 40 years time what Absolutely. if there's a completely you know very extreme very kind of anti whatever anti-muslim or very mm. ideological, much more ideologically charged government if we allow you know these types of arbitrary exercises of power and authority and restrictions on our rights to kind of solidify yeah. then you're 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 setting up a potential absolutely. you know dystopic future for your children and your grandchildren absolutely and especially with the trend that we're seeing at the moment across europe which is very far right tendencies and and uh, arguments uh, that that's definitely the case uh, dr zaman i would love to speak continue speaking with you but uh, unfortunately i'm i'm running out of time uh, and just that's literally right. last couple of minutes but great talking to you get uh, fantastic getting an update and getting uh, some airtime for for this fantastic legal challenge to prevent and the government inshallah and we'll hopefully stay in touch to get an update in terms of where we go from there inshallah and give our salams and our du'as with the sheikh inshallah when you speak to him Okay, uh, listeners, that was Dr. Salman, but mashallah from Islam 21C giving us an update there. Also giving us an update with regards to the health of the Sheikh Al Haysam Al Haddad. And we are coming towards the end of the show, uh, Friday night live, inshallah, with me, Hafi Shaban. And before we actually wrap up this evening's uh, show, right, I want you to make dua for uh, Sheikh Haysam, inshallah, for his health. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give our Sheikh uh, health and, and a speedy recovery. Inshallah, and keep him in high spirits so he can continue the fantastic work that he does uh, for the da'wah of Islam. Inshallah, whilst I'm on the note of making du'a, 
Let me also tell you and reach out to you to also make dua for our bro dear, dear brother Amir Ulubai uh, from here, from Inspire FM, who uh, lost his father uh, only a day ago and the janazah was today. So brother Amir Ulubai is from uh, one of the producers and the managers on the, in, the, in the studio here from Inspire FM who lost his father earlier. Inshallah, and make dua for his father. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give him Jannatul Firdaus. And also a very, very dear brother and also uh, oh, he's been a guest a number of uh, he's been a guest on this show a number of times to share views and his political th thoughts and commentary on a number of stories our dear brother in the community brother Jalaluddin Patel also lost his uh, young brother uh, sorry young son age 15 uh, some days ago inshallah also raise your hands and make dua for uh, brother Jalaluddin's uh, family and his son may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant them uh, grant him Jannatul Firdaus and grant their family a great maqam for their for their sabr and their patience during these times of tests and trials inshallah ta'ala so du'as for, for all of those uh, brothers and all of those people associated with Friday Night Live and also those who continue to help out here on Friday Night Live and Inspire FM we have come towards the end of the show it's the last 30 seconds and you were with me Hafiz Shaban on Friday Night Live inshallah ta'ala I'll probably be back with you next week too subject to uh, brother Abdul Akbar confirming, confirming his schedule inshallah ta'ala but do always try to get in touch get involved with the show because the show actually makes is, is made a lot more better and a lot more interactive and a lot more entertaining when we hear from you our listeners 0152 and just for your information there will be a repeat of the show on Saturdays I believe and there's a podcast that you can download and do leave your thoughts and your suggestions on our podcast on our websites until next week inshallah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh thank you for listening to our podcast why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.